the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The WLCC, Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Online at letstalkfaith.com. Or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre-recorded. Peter says that you know that in the last days scoffers or mockers will come. These are not simply people who, are, uh, who question the coming of, of our Lord. These are people who actually mock us and scoff at us and hide behind intellectualism and so-called scholarship. There's a very interesting phrase. Notice verse 3. It says right, right at the end, following after their own lusts. They follow after their own lust. That is to say that the reason that they deny and scoff at us and deny the coming of Christ to judge this earth is because they refuse to submit to a God who demands repentance from sin and submission to Him. You see, Jesus Christ is coming back not simply to establish His kingdom, but He's coming back to judge the world for their unbelief and rebellion. judgment Pastor Steve is speaking about is yet to come for those who have not put their faith in Jesus Christ. Welcome to Verse by Verse with our speaker, Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. We have been going through some serious and heavy issues in our series titled Birth Pains for the Kingdom. Judgment is certainly a serious and heavy topic. There was a time in the past when God judged the entire world with a flood. And after the flood, he promised he would not judge in that same manner again. The future judgment Pastor Steve will be teaching about today will be the final reckoning for those who have never put their faith in Jesus Christ. There might be times when we see wicked people and think, ha, someday they will get theirs. However, one thing to keep in mind is that God himself has said he is not willing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. I'd like you to hold that thought in your mind as we go through today's lesson. Here is Pastor Steve. The South American nation of Bolivia has a very enthusiastic navy. It consists of about 4,000 men, very enthusiastic, very thrilled about their navy. They only have one problem, only one problem. The nation of Bolivia does not have a seaport. They are landlocked. There is no ocean. If you look on a map of South America, there is no ocean that touches the nation of Bolivia. But that hasn't dampened their spirit. That has not dampened their enthusiasm for the sea. Apparently, Bolivia used to have a seaport, used to extend to the sea. But in the year 1879, Chile launched a surprise attack upon Bolivia and captured their coastline. And ever since that time, Bolivia and Bolivians have dreamed of extending their nation to the coast. In fact, you could call it a a national passion. 
the nation seems to be obsessed with this concept. Every March 23rd, Bolivia celebrates a parade. You know what the parade is called? It's called Day of the Sea Parade. Beauty queens from each province are selected, and one is called Miss Coastline, which is very interesting because they have no coastline. Someone quickly said, oh, she must be from Chile. But anyway, they have a Miss Coastline. On that day, vendors sell posters with maps of Bolivia that include a coastline. But if you look on your map, there is no coastline. Chile has the coastline. The slogan of the parade is Bolivia to the sea, and it's usually painted on the windows of cars that day. This nation seems to be obsessed with this concept. One Bolivian has collected 600 books that refer to Bolivia's legal rights to have a coastline. There is even a romantic song written about Bolivia returning to the sea. This yearning for the sea is such a passion with Bolivians that one spokesman said this, and I quote, We are asphyxiated. We're underdeveloped. We're cut off from the world. We've been asking for the sea since the day they took it from us, and we'll continue asking for it. It's a religion, end of quote. Now, no one has come up with a concrete plan to get their seacoast back, but most Bolivians keep the faith, hoping and longing for the return of their coast. Now, we look upon Bolivia's enthusiasm with amusement. I mean, it's kind of a funny thing, and and yet it's sort of a foolish thing. We say, what misdirected zeal. Uh, We admire and applaud their perseverance, their zeal, but I I think they're absolutely silly and foolish to hope for something as improbable as the return of their sea and their, their coast. Yet that is exactly how many people view Christians who long for the return of Jesus Christ. They applaud our enthusiasm, but they are amused at us and think that we are so silly to long for the return of Christ. They scoff at us being so impractical and uh, not coming to grips with reality. So we look as silly to them as Bolivians parading for a seacoast look to us. But Scripture teaches that there's a difference. Scripture teaches that scoffers will come in the last days and will mock us, even though our faith in Christ, in His return, is based upon God's Word and not some self-created desire and, and dream. And I'd like you to turn your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 3, just by way of introduction. 2 Peter chapter 3. In this marvelous book of 2 Peter, in chapter 1, Peter said this, that you know that we did, we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter says we didn't make up stories when we told you about the power that's demonstrated in the coming of Christ. No, then he goes on to say in verse 19, we have a more sure word of prophecy, something more certain than even eyewitnesses. We have the word of God which tells us the truth. And in chapter 3, he says this, verse 3, Know this, first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking. And here's what they'll, they'll do. Well, they'll come with their mocking, following after their own lust. And here's what they'll say. Where is the promise of His coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. But the present heavens and earth by his word are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. 
Now, Peter says that you know that in the last days, scoffers or mockers will come. These are not simply people who, are, uh, who question the coming of, of our Lord. These are people who actually mock us and scoff at us and hide behind intellectualism and so-called scholarship. There's a very interesting phrase. Notice verse 3. It says right, right at the end, following after their own lusts. They follow after their own lust. That is to say that the reason that they deny and scoff at us and deny the coming of Christ to judge this earth is because they refuse to submit to a God who demands repentance from sin and submission to him. You see, Jesus Christ is coming back not simply to establish his kingdom, but he's coming back to judge the world for their unbelief and rebellion. These folks are following after their own lust. That is to say, they're following their own agenda. For them to admit that there is a God in heaven who holds them accountable for their sins and for their lifestyle is to admit that, that they're wrong, that they cannot continue this way without being judged. So they just simply, rather than change their behavior, they simply dismiss the, the concept of his judgment. And if you dismiss the concept of his judgment, then you can dismiss the second coming of Christ, which is wrapped up. In his judgment. And so what they're doing, the, the, the reason, in other words, their sin is behind their unbelief. It is not intellectualism. It is not scholarship. It is their sin that denies the coming of Christ. However, in their mocking, what they, what they contend is this. They contend that all things continue in a uniform pattern and nothing has changed since, uh, since things began. But Peter says it escapes their notice that... That's not the case. God didn't intervene in judgment into the affairs of the whole world at one time, and we call it the flood, the judgment of the flood. He did that through water. He promised back in Genesis that he will never judge the world through a flood again, not a, not a, uh, a, a worldwide flood. There are local floods, but not a, uh, a global flood. But the present heavens and earth are being reserved for the judgment of fire. And so if he judged the world back then in the ancient world, then he can do it again in the present and future world. And that's, that's Peter's point. And part of his plan to judge is called the tribulation period. Jesus explains it in Mark chapter 13. And that's where we want to focus. So let's turn to Mark chapter 13. We have been teaching about this passage of Scripture for some weeks. You can label Mark chapter 13 the signs of Christ's coming or the birth pains or birth pangs of Christ's return. In this chapter, which is so important for you to understand, if we're to understand the second coming of Christ, in this chapter, Jesus spoke about his return to judge the earth and establish his kingdom. And in this chapter, he gave a number of signs for his, for his future followers, those who will be alive then, to observe in order to know that his coming was very soon. Let's read chapter 13, and we'll look at, we'll look at verses 1 through 13. We'll, we'll just read that. As he was going out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Teacher, behold, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone shall be left upon another which will not be torn down. And as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew were questioning him privately. Tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign when all these things are going to be fulfilled? And Jesus began to say to them, See to it that no one misleads you. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, meaning I am the Messiah. And will mislead many. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be frightened. 
Those things must take place, but that is not yet the end. For nation will arise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be earthquakes in various places. There will also be famines. These things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. But be on your guard, for they will deliver you up to the courts, and you'll be flogged in the synagogues, and you'll stand before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. And when they arrest you and deliver you up, do not be anxious beforehand about what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but it is the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver up brother to death, and a father his child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated on all account of my name, but it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved." Now, the Lord was leaving the temple area in Jerusalem, and uh, a disciple said, Lord, what beautiful buildings does this, this temple complex consist of? And Jesus said, listen, they'll all be torn down. Now, one stone will be left upon another, and that absolutely astonished the disciples, because in their thinking, they felt that when Jerusalem and the temple would be destroyed, that would be when Messiah's kingdom would be established. So they're putting it together. Actually, that was not the case. Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 AD and the temple was destroyed at that point. There's been no temple from that, from that time. But Jesus used their question, even though they, they had some uh, faulty thinking, used their question to explain to them what would happen just before he returned. That's why we call it signs of Christ coming or birth pangs. He explained and compared it to a, to a woman's pains as she's in Labor, And that's why he said, they said to him, what will, will be the sign? Verse 4, when all these things are going to be fulfilled. Instead of giving them just one sign, Jesus gave them a host of signs. And the point is this, if you see these things happening, when you see these things happening on an escalated scale, understand that my return is very, very soon. Now, he's not talking about the rapture. The rapture of the church will take place before this ever happens, will be gone. He is talking about uh, what will take place in the tribulation. And we observe three of these signs, or birth pangs, of the Messianic kingdom. Actually, they're the, the, the birth pangs will give birth to the kingdom. That's, that's the point. Sign number one, or birth pang number one, is counterfeit messiahs. He said that in verse 5 and 6. He said, don't be deceived by it. They'll, many will come and say, I am he. I am who? I am Christ. There'll be a host of counterfeit messiahs, and they will deceive people because they will have the ability to perform supernatural deeds. We went over this last week. Secondly, there'll be conflicts between nations. Peace will be taken from the earth. The tribulation will begin at a time of peace, and people will think that uh, a utopian age has, arri- has arisen, and then it will be taken from them. Nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Then there will be, according to the middle of verse 8, calamities on the earth. There will be earthquakes and and famines. Luke tells us there will be plagues and terrors and signs in the heavens. It will be a devastating time and a very frightening time on this planet. We have some earthquakes now. We have famines now. We have plagues now. We have terrors now. But nothing will be like this. Notice the end of verse 8. These things, Jesus said, are merely the beginning of birth pangs. In other words, there's more to come. This is just the start of labor pains. This is bad, but it gets worse. Just like uh, along with a woman's pregnancy and her labor pains, as she moves along in her pains, they become more intense, more painful, 
more excruciating. Uh, I, I said this uh, last week. We had some pregnant ladies in our congregation who uh, probably hate me now and, and are wondering, you know, why they are even in this predicament. But John chapter 16, for those of you who are with child, remember this. Jesus said that it, it is uh, a woman travails until she gives birth and then she forgets her travail because the joy is so great in having a child. So we need to remind you of that. But the point is this, the analogy is as we get closer to the return of Jesus Christ and the birth of the kingdom, the more intense will be the suffering. Once the kingdom is here, it'll be joy, like joy in the morning. And this intensity and increase in suffering brings us to the fourth sign or fourth birth pain of Christ's coming. And we will just begin to probe it this morning. The fourth sign is contempt for believers. Contempt for believers. And we see this in verse 9. Jesus said, but be on your guard, for they will deliver you up to the courts, and you will be flogged in the synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them. Now, during the tribulation period, there will be a severe persecution experienced by God's people. That's basically what what this verse is saying. That's very important for us to understand. Before Jesus went to the cross, the night before he went to the cross, he taught his disciples that they could expect persecution during the church age. Now, this, this is what we call the church age. That, this will end with the rapture, but we can expect persecution now. And I want you to see some parallels. John chapter 15 tells us this. John chapter 15 This is a a very important portion of Scripture. Jesus is explaining in John 14, 15, and 16, we call it the farewell discourse, the upper room discourse. He's explaining to them life as we know it in the church age. It's it's really church age doctrine in germ form. And he's saying, listen, I know you're sad. I know you're you're discouraged. You know I'm leaving, but I'm not going to leave you as orphans. The Holy Spirit is going to come. You're going to be taken care of. There'll be tremendous blessings uh, during this church age, uh, you'll bear fruit and so forth, and uh, to balance it off so that they don't get the wrong impression that life is a piece of cake in the church age, Jesus tells them, but wait a minute, you need to understand that it's going to be tough. Persecution is is going to uh, characterize the church age as well. And he says that in chapter 15, verse 18, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. The thought here is not if the world, in the sense that the world might not hate you. The, the thought here is since. You could translate that word if since. Since the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. He said, the world is going to hate you, but understand that it's really directed at me. Verse 19, if you were of the world, meaning if you were not a Christian, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Because I made you different. I made you like me. And the world hates that. Remember the word that I said to you, and Jesus had spoken to them previously about this, Matthew 10. A slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. And then verse 21. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. Now today we experience the world's hatred for the simple reason that they hate Jesus Christ. The world persecutes believers. It may not be in the form of physical violence. It is in some places. And it may result during this church age where some of us may have to lay down our lives for the gospel's sake. 
But oftentimes we're persecuted in a mental way, uh, perhaps a job-related way, perhaps a family way, perhaps a psychological way. But there is persecution. However, what Jesus wants them to understand is that the persecution is really directed at him. The world has nothing personally against us. In fact, they may like us personality-wise, but they can't stand Jesus Christ. However, they can't persecute him anymore. They already did that. They put him on the cross. We put him on the cross. And they can't get to Christ anymore, so they come after us because we reflect him and we are like him. Jesus said if you were of the world, the world would love you. The world likes its own because those in the world sort of reaffirm their values. But once you're pulled out of the world, you are to be different. You are to be holy. You are to be like Jesus Christ. And uh, people don't like that because it simply reminds them of their own sin. They don't want anyone around with holy standards. And they don't want anybody around unmasking their hypocrisy. Because they claim to love God. Many claim to be religious. And that's not the case. And when we come around and we stand around them and, and uh, our very lives unmask that and, and reveal what they really are. And so they come after us because they cannot get to Jesus Christ. That's why Paul said in 2 Timothy 3.12, All who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. If you live for Christ and you stand up for him and you just live out biblical principles somewhere along the line, you are going to endure persecution. Somewhere. It may not be a daily occurrence, but somewhere it will take place. Galatians 6.17 says, Paul said, For I bear in my body the brand marks of Jesus. That is to say that these marks were intended for Jesus Christ. So when they persecute you, the intention is to get at Jesus. But they can't get at him, so they get at you. Now the church age will end with the rapture of the church. Marvelous, marvelous events that we wait for. And all genuine believers will be caught up to be with the Lord. But this will not end persecution. John 15 is about persecution. But as you go back to Mark chapter 13, or John 15 is persecution in the church age, as you go back to Mark 13, you realize that contempt for believers in the tribulation period will escalate and increase, and they will suffer. Tribulation believers will suffer as no other generation of believers has suffered, not even the early church. They will suffer terribly, uh, more than at any time in church history. Why? Because God will take his restraining hands off of Satan. When the church is, is lifted and out of here, the Holy Spirit still remains. He remains to convict people, but he does not continue in his ministry of restraining sin like he once did. And we will not be here. By our very presence, we restrain sin to some degree. So God will take his sovereign restraining hands off of Satan, and therefore the devil will attack the saints with an intense vengeance. And he will do his persecuting primarily through the instrumentality of one man. We know him as the Antichrist. Revelation chapter 13 reveals him as the beast. He's also given another, uh, many other names in Scripture. But he is a world ruler. There is a world ruler, Scripture says, that is coming. The book of Revelation speaks of him. Uh, the book of Daniel speaks very clearly of him. And uh, we will understand more of him as we get further along into Mark chapter 13. But uh, let me just explain something right now, and we'll hold off on, on a detailed explanation. The, the tribulation period will be seven years. We know this from Daniel. We know this from the book of Revelation. You just have to, I guess, for right now, take my word for it. But in the future, we'll deal with this. Midway into the seven-year period, which will be three and a half years, 
the Antichrist will break a peace treaty with Israel. Actually, what officially starts the tribulation period is not the rapture of the church, but the signing of some type of a peace treaty with the nation of, of Israel. Now, I take it that the tribulation, the, the rapture will come and then the tribulation will follow right after it, but maybe a matter of days, weeks, it could be even months, but it'll be that time period. What officially starts it, according to Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, you don't need to turn there, but you ought to mark this down, you ought to be taking notes. Daniel 9.27 says that the Antichrist will establish a peace covenant, some type of a peace treaty with the nation of Israel, which makes sense as we look around today that uh, very few nations want to be friendly, uh, want to be friends with Israel. They have no friends except the United States, and we're on somewhat shaky ground, so you can see a lot of things shaping up. We've had a very busy verse-by-verse program today, talking about judgment, the rapture, the tribulation, and a peace treaty. We have more to learn about the peace treaty and the tribulation period as our series continues. At the beginning of our program today, I mentioned that God wants people to come to repentance. I'd like to encourage you to keep that in mind as you go through your day and ask God to show you someone He has put in your path who needs to hear the gospel or a portion of it. Thanks for joining us today on Verse by Verse. I certainly hope you're able to join us next time as we continue with our series, Birth Pains for the Kingdom. If you would like to hear this message again, surf over to versebyverseradio.org and click on the Archives tab to find past programs in this series or other series. And then please join us tomorrow for Verse by Verse. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.